Closing the Digital Divide, the podcast dedicated to creating meaningful conversations and sharing valuable insights from industry leaders, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, and others on Closing the Digital Divide. I'm your host, Charles Thomas, and together we'll explore the policy, challenges, triumphs, and innovative solutions that are reshaping the digital landscape. Join us as we shine a light on the importance of equal access, digital literacy, and the transformative impact technology can have on our unserved and underserved communities. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered as we work towards closing the digital divide one episode at a time. Welcome to the conversations that's shaping our future. This is Closing the Digital Divide. Today we have with us two gentlemen, Burge and Haig from Wireless 2020, which is a fiber and wireless mobile broadband consulting company serving customers worldwide. As an independent marketing research and consulting company, Wireless 2020 is focused on the rapid evolving fiber, wireless and mobile broadband markets. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Thanks for having us. Thank All you. right, tell us a little bit more about Wireless 2020 and what you guys do. So Hagen, uh, a partner, Randall Schwartz, started the company how many years ago now? Almost 20? Yep. And uh, I joined about 10 years ago. And uh, the company's evolved, but the most important thing we're doing now is we're focused on helping to bridge the digital divide by providing tools to the operators and the policymakers to help them understand where are the gaps in the market and what are the unserved locations that can be reached by different technologies most effectively. And so we just recently published a white paper based on our analysis uh, that hopefully is the focus of our discussion today. Yes, it certainly is. And, and, and Burge, I always start my discussions with asking people, because I get different answers, but I, you know, I really want to focus in on this. What is the digital divide and why is it so important for us to get it closed? So as you know, uh, broadband has become a utility that every customer, every, every household, every business has to have in order to participate in the democracy, in order to do business, in order to go to school. Uh, whatever they need to do, they need broadband. And in fact, most of their TV viewing is done over broadband as well. So it's become an essential service. And the government has decided during COVID, by the way, that it's so critical that everyone have access to broadband that they spent time and effort and have allocated funds to allow operators to subsidize their initiatives to bring broadband to every uh, residential household and to some degree businesses as well. So having said that, um, they defined what is broadband to begin with, and mm -hmm. that definition has been changing over time. And the quality and the speed of that broadband is the critical uh, differentiator, the critical definition. They want 25 uh, mega, megabits per second download and three megabits minimum upload speeds to define broadband. But actually, having established that standard, they really would like a 100 megabit download and 
they would like symmetrical service as much as possible. So the upload speed is also critical beyond the three megabits per second upload speed minimum. So having said that, with the initial definition, there are some 8.2 million locations in the United States that um, don't have access to that quality and, and speed and, and service of broadband. And those 8.2 million locations are in the digital divide. They're unable to access broadband. Exactly. Now, to some degree, there's a decision that even some people who have access to broadband, either they can't afford it or they chosen not to spend their money on it. And the prices could be quite high in some locations. And so there's an economic digital divide as well as a technological digital divide. But that's, that's an important distinction. Um, but in any case, the uh, US government has prioritized mm -hmm. the budget for uh, some $42.5 billion to allocate to the states, to fund the states to subsidize these broadband deployments to address that need. And that's a lot of money. You think about $42 uh, mm -hmm. uh, billion, dollars, uh, if they spent it on uh, education, if they spent it on uh, health care, that's a lot of money. At the same time, it's not enough money when we do our calculations to bring fiber to every location in that $8.2 billion, 8.2 million households. So the question is why? Mm -hmm. And that is because as you get further and further out into rural areas, some of these locations are geographically isolated and are not near enough to existing fiber to make it cost effective to build fiber out to those locations. Now, on the one hand, the policy is technology agnostic. That means they're not dictating what technology has to be used to deliver the broadband. On the other hand, in order to meet the requirements, and in order to satisfy the forward-looking nature of this investment. I mean, this is uh, billions of dollars that are going to have to last the next 10 years. So as the sure. demand and the requirements uh, increase, they want to drive the higher speed of broadband and make it sustainable. So that's really the focus is how do you allocate this funding um, to make it possible to reach all these households, even the ones that are geographically isolated in rural areas. And it makes sense that if you are mm -hmm. a service provider, you would prefer to spend money to reach the closest ones and extend the reach of your existing fiber network. But when you get out into the boondocks, for example, we just finished some work on the state of Maine and there are parts of Maine in the uh, far reaches of the north, there are more moose than people. And <laughs> the houses are so far apart and where they're located geographically makes it very difficult to bring fiber to those households. But then the question is, what's wrong with wireless? You know, if you look around, uh, companies like T-Mobile and Verizon have used mm -hmm. the uh, excess capacity on their mobile networks 
to deliver fixed wireless broadband service, and they've started growing very rapidly. Millions of households are now using uh, what is otherwise a mobile technology and a fixed modem in their house to get mm -hmm. broadband. And it's yeah. very cheap. It's the least expensive way to do it. And it doesn't require any uh, fiber or wires to be built. Um, they just plug in the modem and it works. So the FCC uh, has tried to decide, or NTIA, the National Telecommunications uh, Agency, has tried to define what is the technology that can meet those requirements. And mm -hmm. they at least want, if, if it's a wireless technology, they at least want it to be using uh, licensed spectrum to make it more sure. reliable and mm -hmm. sustainable. So there's some issues about technology. So we sat down and, and used a set of tools that we've developed called WiroidDB, which is a database system for the whole country that allows us to identify where are these households that are not served and where do they uh, reside geographically relative to existing infrastructure and try to understand what's the cost to reach those with each different technology. And when we do that study, and Haig is going to show you some of the results, we find out that it would be too expensive to fiber to every of these locations, and we would exceed the budget of the allocated funds, and that would leave a lot of households who are distant from existing infrastructure unserved. So we believe that it's going to be necessary to have a mix of technologies that would allow funds to be uh, satisfying to uh, reach all the unserved households. And, and uh, you, you, you touched on a number of things there, and, and thank you for doing that. Um, and that is the topic of our talk here today is the, the bead funding. And, and uh, the, the article that I'm referring to um, says that uh, our beads, are the beads funding fiber goals too ambitious? And there are kind of two sides to that. And, and obviously you've, you um, eloquently uh, stated where you guys are, and I'm looking forward to um, Haig sharing with us some of the details and how, how that was done and the, the data that was used for that. Um, and we also had reached out to um, um, the, the other side, uh, Mike Conlow, to um, hopefully we'll have him on so he can talk about his analysis too. So what I'd like to do now is, um, is uh, have Haig kind of talk to us about the details and the analysis and the data that was used to create um, your, your white paper. And I uh, know you'll be able to share some of that data with us. Great, thank you. So. Uh, the first observation is that when funds are assigned from the NTIA or the federal government to the states, they're assigned on the basis of the number of unserved locations in each state. But to build fiber network, money is spent based on the number of miles of fiber that you build. So that realization very quickly takes you to the point where you can't simply, you can allocate funding using number of unserved locations, 
but to know whether funding is going to be enough to serve every single one of them with fiber, you need to calculate the fiber miles because you have to build fiber miles, right? And if you can imagine certain neighborhoods where each fiber mile has 20, 30, 50 homes that uh, reside on it, the economics would be different than if you have a fiber mile in the rural areas where there's one house on it or two houses on it, sure. right? So the cost of building a fiber mile is about the same whether you're building it in a rural area or a, or a less rural area or, or depending on the housing densities. What we also noticed that is usually homes are concentrated in the center of town and then there are additional homes on the outside. Most of the centers of towns that make business case sense to build are already built by uh, by uh, incumbents or local companies or co-ops. So uh, what we set down to do and what we've been doing for the last two years is helping clients calculate the number of miles needed to, that, to do that analysis. So that's the first phase. So far, we have assisted our clients apply for more than $10 billion of funding in US and Canada. And they have received more than $1 billion of funding based on the work that we've been doing. So the methodologies that we have developed have been tested and have been working for our clients. And what we decided to do is publish that methodology so that we can apply it for the U.S. So if you like, I can walk you through the methodology, which is outlined in our, in our white paper. Absolutely. Okay. So... Uh, the first thing we do is we'll look at the FCC fabric data and look at how many homes are served. And in instances where we have, through our relationship with our clients, we have the location of uh, those unserved homes, we map them on a map. And then we say, let's take out all of the ineligible areas, such as uh, other funding that may not have been built when the FCC collected their fabric data. So we subtract the number of homes covered by RDOF, let's say, or other state grants that, mm -hmm. that have enforceable commitments by service providers to build gigabit service in those areas. So bid funding doesn't have to fund areas that have already been funded but not built so far, right? So okay. you take that net amount and then we run what's called the Steiner analysis, which is the least or the shortest distance path using the road network to lay fiber. And we actually have software that automatically does the calculation very quickly on a large number of locations. It could do all county at a time, it could do all state. We have even contemplated analyzing the whole US using those software tools. Wow. So, so instead of going to field surveys and sending engineers up to estimate and count how many fiber miles you need to build, we use uh, GIS technology and we use uh, Google Street View to look at images and we come up with an estimate or a very close design where throughout our experience, when our clients go build that uh, design, they're plus or minus 5%, right? Yeah. So suddenly we have a tool that says, 
let's not speculate mm -hmm. how many miles it's going to take to connect the answer. Let's calculate it so that we can make informed decisions. So all of that is outlined together with maps on our website and our white paper. So you mentioned um, you mentioned GIS data. Does it also take into account um, occupied and unoccupied dwellings, or so, or do you have that information available in your data set? The Census Bureau makes available on a census block basis. Uh, in some instances, and other sources also make available occupied versus unoccupied, but beat funding is allocated based on the FCC's de uh, definition of what they call BSL, broadband serviceable locations. So sure. money is allocated based on BSLs, broadband serviceable locations, independent of whether they're vacant or occupied, but states have their own uh, flexibility to decide how to give the money and who to give the money and how to score different applicants. So until sure. the states make those available, the state may choose to require that vacant homes don't get covered or don't get granted, or uh, if they were vacant recently, they're going to be not vacant soon. That may not right. be an issue, right? So. Uh, each state will come up with their own rules, but no matter what the rules are, at the end, there'll be a set of rules and a set of locations that you need to calculate the fiber miles as a bidder, as a service provider, to ask yourself, uh, how much should I, uh, how much subsidy should I apply for? So on the average, if you take the $42 billion divided by 8.2 billion a million unserved loca locations you get approximately five thousand dollars of subsidy per location so our methodology mm -hmm. says to connect a county or the state these are the fiber miles needed to connect them and then the state has been allocated so much money based on five thousand dollars per location so we assume that bidders on the average will contribute 50% of the built cost and rely on bid with the other 50%. So $5,000 of bid funding would get you to $10,000 of total capital expenditures. And we ask ourselves, is that enough? Is the combination of those two numbers enough to build an area? And because we have the fiber mile analysis, we can take fiber miles and multiply it by the cost of building a mile of fiber, which varies from place to place. And we say, okay, so this is the total cost. This is beat funding available times two, which is matched by service providers. Is there a mm -hmm. difference? So we did this on 800 plus counties in the US, but we published 10 of them on our website where the numbers and the maps are available. And what we found is based on the assumptions that we made, uh, all 10 counties had a shortfall. Mm. Right? And what we assumed is $60,000 to build a mile of uh, fiber. Some operators tell us that they could do it for 50. Some others can do it for, I have heard as low as 30. Some people tried to do for 17 and they defaulted, they couldn't do it. So 30 to 60 is the number. If, you, if you're efficient and can do it for 30,000 
dollars per mile, then the money could be could be sufficient in certain areas, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, so the way to intelligently answer the question is: What assumptions are you using? If you don't do mm -hmm. fiber mass analysis, then you can't even dimension yourself. After you have an accurate fiber mile analysis, then you say, what assumption am I using as the cost per fiber mile? And incumbents in certain markets may have an advantage because they may have existing fiber close by, so their, their fiber miles can be slightly less or a lot less, depending on what they have, and their cost may be better than others, right? So. So the white paper asked this qu the question whether the money is available, but the intention is to say, look, to answer that question, you really need to do fiber miles analysis. And then you take your own mm -hmm. assumptions and you'll find out that in some counties, money is enough to do it. In some counties, you don't need 50% subsidy. You could do it 10, 20, 30% subsidy. But in some other counties, you may need 80% subsidy. But at the whole state level, Unless you trim the most expensive locations, and I'll show you on a map what the expensive look like. You know, when you have a road that goes three miles to connect one home, that's right. even if you assume $30,000 times three miles, that's $90,000. So the monthly output you're going to connect, collect from that client is going to be, let's say, $100 to be very generous. 100 times 12, that's $1,200 a year. After 15 years, you haven't recovered the 90000 Even if the government gave you half of that money, it's still not a good business case. So right. it's right. important to put a prize. What we call it is a prize. Every location in our analysis gets assigned a value, which is the prize. If the value is low, you can do that with low subsidy or no subsidy. If the value is so high that you're not going to win subsidy, and even if you do, it's going to be difficult to service those locations. That's why you start mechanically have a means to do subjective or objective analysis based on real data rather than averaging and speculating. Right. And so your 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 data analysis assumes that the entity, whatever the ISP is, is is really starting from zero and then building, as opposed to someone that already has uh, like a like a, a courier that may already have fiber in the ground and then moving from there. Well, is that the right assumption? Paper, in our white paper, we have a section mm -hmm. that talks about the advantage that the incumbents have. But for okay. our analysis, we assume the most uh, conservative in terms of uh, using the incumbents network as the baseline, which gives us the lowest number of miles. And our analysis is if the incumbents can't justify building it, no one else will, because their scenario assumes that the unserved areas will come to their footprint and because they're the incumbents. So on the contrary, we assumed uh, how can we build fiber using the most optimal selection of bidders in each county? And those bidders are the incumbent fiber and cable providers. Gotcha. Understood. Right. If we had assumed otherwise, 
if we assumed anyone with a flat foot can come to accounting and build, costs typically double. Right. So we took the least cost, and still the least cost is not enough in the analysis that we did. Now, there are many ways to optimize it, right? One of them would say, look, you don't have to build fiber to every single location in an area. You can build it to 90% of it, and the 10% that are far away, you don't have to expand the money to go to them. That may uh, fix the problem in many cases. But the question gets asked usually, is there any enough money to build to everyone? The moment you say everyone, then you can't take that shortcut. Right, 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 right. And that makes sense. And 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 in those other 10% or whatever that is, there's there's other technologies available um, that can be used so that we can effectively close that digital divide. Yeah, I mean, what I like to do is Quickly share my screen so there's a little graphics and maps added to, to our presentation. Sure, absolutely. Let me quickly do that. So here's a map of an area or state that we analyze. As you can see, the orange dots are all of the unserved locations that need to be connected. As you zoom into it, you can see that there are red lines that connect them all together. These neighborhoods here are dense neighborhoods, but there are many other areas that are so sparse and some areas there are not even uh, they're so far from the network that the, the when we set the price for $100,000, it dropped mm -hmm. it. All those single locations are more than three miles away from any other road net or network, which means they are at dead end streets and you don't need to go in front of their house to connect other people. So they need dedicated connections just for them. These are not drop lanes. These are the amount of public roads you have to drive to get to their driveway. If it's more than three kilometers and it's, it's, a, it's the last point on the network and you don't need them as a bridge to connect to someone else, we drop them, right? So even with that analysis, you can very easily understand by looking at the map that without a fiber mile analysis, you can't have good results. You need to do the fiber right. mile analysis. Right, right. Well, this is this is awesome. And and unfortunately, gentlemen, we're we're running out of time, but I want to leave some time for you guys to share with our audience. Um, the, the, the data you have and an analysis you've done is, 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 is quite impressive, but I'd like for you guys to share a little bit how someone may be able to get in touch with you to um, use your services. And uh, we'll, we'll put a link to the white paper down on the screen here, but tell us uh, um, how someone can get in touch with you to possibly use your services. Best way is to our website. Uh, there's a contact us link. They can send us an email. We're on LinkedIn as well. Uh, also, Berge is going to be at the uh, 5G, uh, big 5G conference in a couple of weeks in Austin. If any of the members of the audience is going to be there, you can personally meet with them and uh, sit down and talk about uh, how we can help them. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for taking uh, some time out of your busy schedule. Um, 
just looking at that data, it just it blew my mind how how much analysis that actually went into that. Um, again, thank you very much. Um, for our audience, you can uh, hear this podcast or any of our episodes in this in the uh, closing the, the digital divide uh, podcast at ctdd.castos.com or anywhere that you uh, get your podcast. Gentlemen, again, thank you very much. And you guys have a good day. We look forward to seeing you guys again. Thank you.